Well, here we are. 286. We thought maybe, you know, if Infernal's doing some roster announcements, wouldn't it be nice if we could get the man, the myth, the legend himself, Soul Infernal's GM, Rawson. Hello, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, yes. Thank you for coming on and giving us all the info. We were kind Letting of begged know. in the comments. Like, uh, people just were, like, requesting, <laughs> okay, can, can we get him on? Can we get him on? And then, yeah, it, it, I think it makes a lot of sense, right? Like Only made sense, yeah. It's it, it's also the perfect timing for everything. People have got, just got done with reading it to twit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, literally, because that's how long it was. Uh, so, yeah, I think we found a good time to talk. It was, a, it was a nice ode. I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head at the very beginning. You're like, no, this isn't twit longer. This is twit longest. Like, I mean, I think everybody got a, everybody got like a nice hug, nice send off. It was, it was wholesome. Yeah, I'm surprised how many people read it in the entirety. I was like, I figure like a lot of, we have like so many like incredible, like diehard fans that have mm. supported us, you know, like every year. And like, I felt like I needed to really thank every player before we made the transition. And, and really it was like, it's like a love letter to just like, yeah, the fans and our players. And I think, uh, yeah, I think I was pretty happy with how it was received, and I think um, it was deserved by our our players and our fans. Oh, I think it was super like touching to you know see not only some of the tender isn't like the 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 exact word, but it, it was very touching. It was very you know candid in some areas. Um, I didn't get through the entire thing, but I saw that every single player that ever walked through those halls, you know, got got like a nice send off. And I think that's that's more than a lot of other, you know, not not to bring other teams into it. But I think, you know, that, that was that was special. And I think that was that was really cool. That was dope. Thank you. <laughs> did you did you forsake all, all your past decisions of picking up so many players that you had to go through? <laughs> I actually think we're like for an org. Uh, we've kind of committed. We've had a couple big rosters, but we've mm. kind of had a lot of the same names come back and forth. And I think we've really, when we believe in, when we pick up a player, we really believe in them. And I think you, you see us bring back yeah. more players than I think any other team. Um, and I think uh, it really is just like kind of our... I guess belief since the beginning that like you know we believed in you from the start you know we give you a second chance and really just witness the players growth is something that I think is like super rewarding um as a, as a GM is just see like you know whether they leave for a year and come back like they are different from their experiences and I think um every player to ever play with us or or be on a roster with us has just been uh, a big learning opportunity for myself and the coaches. And I think, um, you know, most importantly, like I just wanted people to know that everything we've learned or gained from them uh, through experience is something that is still held on in this org and, and will continue to be part of our growth moving forward. Yeah, I think that's also like a little bit of the traditional esports DNA, right? Like where, oh yeah, realistically, like that, yes, there's like a definitely like a ship of Theseus situation where it's like you know there's there's a certain transience to all esports teams, but they, I feel like fans of old esports structures understand that a lot of it is like the core people that make up an organization, mm-hmm. 
or the values your organization uh, purports. That's that's the beacon, you know, like that's shining through everything. It's not necessarily like okay, this is this is a Yiska take. I never cared about this uh, the, the city. I understand that this is something you know the um, the Overwatch League fan in particular probably doesn't like to hear, but uh, yeah, I think uh, generally speaking, that's also what these these gestures like your Twitter show me, right? Like it's mm -hmm. that there is a continuity, right? And yep. um, that there's a certain value code that <laughs> you, I feel like still you're you're sort of like the heart of it. But that definitely permeates the organization in terms of what kind of players it uh, associates with, and what kind of you know mantra is chanted in the pra uh, practice room, if you want, right? So um, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Just I think we're really like um, I guess I'm very fortunate that the players that I've had to have like uh, are kind of kept a good relationship with me too, and I think. Uh, it's actually really funny, like, a couple, uh, I think, like, a couple players and, and a coach, sometimes I catch up with people and they're like, you're really weird, Rostin. And I'm like, what? And they're like, <laughs> it's been three years since you, I've been on your team, and why do you still catch up with me and say happy birthday every year? And I'm like, Aww. what? <laughs> like, oh, I mean, like, wh why not? And they're like, yeah. oh, you're... you're you're too kind for the internet is something I think like Seda told me like, recently and he's like I'm like what what does that even mean like I think um I think one thing I've like always done is like I really appreciate the hard work that mm. you know the players and coaches put in like um I appreciate while it's happening if it's not happening during the season I like to really push them to make sure it happens and then um though you know just I'm very thankful for everyone that that's worked with us and um and I think that has kind of that relationship that I've got to keep with players and coaches has kind of become known in at least amongst players and staff in the league. Mm -hmm. So I think for us, when we try to, you know, uh, attract talent or coaches, I think they're often very willing to uh, give us a chance and, and kind of like come on board because we have like a historically good track record of kind of taking care of uh, staff and players. That's, I mean, it sounds like it, right? Like if you're reaching out, three years removed from, you know, necessarily working with these people and, you know, fostering those connections. Um, I think that that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? I think that's, you know, uh, and a testament to, you know, what you guys are doing over there. And I think that's, that's, that's special stuff. I, I don't know much about the goings on necessarily in the Overwatch League, but that's, that's pretty special. That's, that's, that's something. Got to you know, give you that. You know what else is special, Joe? What the support that we receive, Segway. Oh wow! I that was that was, that's unheard of. That's a special one. You know he's on his game today when he's thrown me the Segway. So before we get into the Soul Infernal, the roster, the coaching staff, what this off season has been like from a GM's perspective, um, we have to thank the people who support this show, make it possible. So two episode or episode two eighty six is brought to you by Battlecrab Refine Bean, Bronze Spot Boo Help, Picasso, Chris R three four 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 four, Kasha sixty seven, Lotion, Porkchop Sammy, Rexane. Unequaled King and Volmelon Sugar High and our YouTube members, IMDRW, Brother Adam L, Sagi Fumi, Ice M Jello, Fire Element 6, AK, and Chris R. Roston. The roster's been released. It's finally off the Google schedule of to do things. I can't imagine what that even looks like for you guys, especially, you know, in APAC. 
Um, how does it feel knowing that it's in the ether now? We can we can finally, you know, I know that like every player, like you, I think you mentioned on Twitter that like every player is getting their day and you kind of like quote retweeted the official account and like you're, you're you know, giving them all like gas and everybody's like super excited. So what does it feel like for you? I think uh, I'm very excited. I think we have mm-hmm. overall, I think a theme that is very obvious is we have a lot of like uh, mechanical potential. And I think um, we have, you know, players that I think a lot of uh, it's very mixed bag on the reactions, to be honest. And, and I can understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think uh, ultimately uh, we have a like a small group that is very, I think will become very close quickly and um coaches who really believe in every single one of these players and will give a lot of a lot of time to each player to develop their kind of decision making i think Mm -hmm. and i think um i also think because of some of like the mixed bag and like uh reactions i think these guys are really hungry you know and i think okay i know we're going to talk about each player at some point so you know it's just overall i just think very excited to see kind of uh, the highs that this roster can take us to. For sure. And I feel like <clears throat> it's interesting to see that you, uh, once again, like counted on some, it's weird to say, for some of them, I don't quite have them pegged as veterans, but I think that most of them kind of are, right? Belt, you you have yeah. to say they are, right? Like multiple seasons under their belts and have been in Overwatch League for a while. I'll say also a bunch of those guys that you signed this year, Definitely, still have something to prove, right? Um, I think uh, for for skewed, always like in the shadow a little bit of uh, in the flex pos- uh, support position uh, behind shoe. I would say, unless it's a brick matter, then like that quickly <laughs> changes. Um, Mag certainly still still a player that we're still like trying to find the full potential uh, that mm-hmm. that he was capable of or prophesized to have um, very early on. So yeah, I th- I feel like this is this is an interesting roster. Um, y- you said there were different receptions. Do, do you want? Sh- should we directly go ahead and go like into the the most public reaction we had of the roster announcement? Yeah, let's go into it. All right. Look, I think sometimes Twitter Twitter is an awful way to communicate. We've we've somehow been just like. Honey pot is into. I don't all... even think it. Sometimes is the right word. It just is. Like it's. It is actually in some way we should probably rather communicate via Reddit. As crazy as it is to say, at it least it is you preferable have some space of space there to explain what yeah. you mean. Yes. Here it it's prone to, for misinterpretation. I saw that, and I felt like I don't really have a team here. It's just just like this is a perfect communicational. Like misunderstanding of what Twitter definitely facilitates. Is that true? So mm. to to sort of highlight or especially show to the audio listeners that maybe aren't looking at the uh, at the video footage right now. It's of course the the tweet that uh, Reinforce made. Um, <laughs> and the, the tweet went. Are you are you are you fanning the flames of drama? Are you drama baiting? Look, Is this going on? Look, Live stream fails. We, maybe we should start doing shorts. You know. Uh, that's what I'm saying. And now I pulled out my headphone cord because I, yeah. Um, so Johnny, basically, if you if you haven't seen it, if you don't keep, keep up with the drama of Twitter, um, like Johnny said, uh, Infernal fans, are we getting a super team this year? And then Infernal, we have super team at home. 
That was in regards to the Mac announcement. A little bit of a weirder one to do it to that. Um, yeah, and then you had a reaction to that, and it was posted on the Reddits. Like, you know, we we take every crumb of drama in this. Uh, I recognize. I feel like in the aftermath, it probably like got hashed out. I think. Did you did you talk to Johnny at all about this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like. Honestly, I've known Johnny since what, the start of Overwatch League, and yeah. you know he's a really nice guy. I mean, he's he's been to our fusion house um, back in Burbank, and uh, I had a lot of time to chat with him. And I I guess um, you know I didn't I didn't like the tweet at first, and I saw it, and I'll be honest, uh, you know I just I think I explained to him like, hey, I just don't like you know if the roster it was a full roster video, and then you do that. That's one thing, but I think it's like an individual player's announcement, mm. and like yeah. it's like his day to like kind of feel um special and like you know and sure. feel like you know excited to you know excitement should be building and i think that kind of just like um yeah i had like an initial reaction I was like, hey like you know i was like dude like are you kidding me kind of reaction and i think um i i feel like sometimes i am a bit sensitive because this org is like something that i you know care so much about sure. and and i I think that because our fans are also in the same boat as me where we care so much that I think it's been really fun to poke fun at uh, the fusion and uh, just the, the org in general. Um, and I think it's like, it's like an easy joke that is kind of like, kind of just overdone sometimes. So I feel like a, a quick joke like that for a little bit of uh, ha-has and clout. I didn't like it, but I mean, Johnny's like, honestly like such a nice guy and everyone that's worked with him like yeah. knows that he's have not only does he have like a lot of passion for overwatch but he's just like a really upstanding guy so like we like right after like i i tweeted that and it was like my time i like went to sleep woke up and i was like whoa whoa <laughs> 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 like, that's, that's out of context and then so um him and i just messaged on dm and like this guy yeah. like he's like oh like hey man like didn't mean it that way and i was like dude definitely not me neither it's like not like we don't have rapport from before sure um so we just you know you know i wish i could tell you we, we hate each other we're gonna like you know <laughs> fight like you know give give some twitter drama that you know twitter world wants but honestly he's like you know great guy he's like oh like i would love to have you know even like mag or some of your players on to chat with them and if you once you get like a translator if you could bring him on like he's it was just like such a easy thing to just uh hash out like in dm so i think no nah, i mean i really appreciate like everything he does for overwatch so it's not like uh uh anything personal by any means so no like celebrity boxing in the interim of you know the first stage of the season you know you you and johnny are like headlining a, a heavyweight bout you know Wait, going at it ross and hotel are you uh not tall enough <laughs> Johnny would, johnny's reach would probably come out i'd probably have, he'd probably put his hand on my head and i'm like swinging and can't even uh, yeah no yeah i mean I as, think, a, as a big human i i think like that i i met johnny i think uh wow 2019 i think in in crayfeld you know at take tv i think might have been oh, what was that was it takeover? I, I don't remember, but I remember the the thing that I remember is the 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 angle my head had to take, which is not very often. I'm like six two, I had to look up yeah. pretty heavily. So no, I think it might have still been when he was on Rogue, 
like all the way back 2017 maybe so mm. um like yeah it's he's he's a big boy <laughs> like that's yeah it's probably not not within the weight class as well we'd, we'd have to fi figure out some other competition it's a hot <laughs> new thing i don't know maybe overwatch league check it out that's all i'm saying maybe we get some chess in there anyways bag is kind of the first you know player you know that's kind of connected to this so i feel like it's only natural to just jump into you know what was that experience like um did was that like a trial process we've talked to a couple you know uh gms and and you know staff members of other teams in the past where you know sometimes you can't necessarily just you know have to lean on trial sometimes you just have to kind of pull the trigger on players that you are excited about and then you do want to kind of recruit so what was the kind of recruitment process for for mag was what was that like so it it, it was a, a trial process actually okay. so um we did um unfortunately the trials happened like around the time when basically every na team had already like thrown bags at like a lot of the free mm. agents that okay. were big names and i think um some of them still did want to trial. I mean, I think uh, before the net ease situation happened, I think a lot of big Korean free agents had kind of heard about the uh, the way our our players were kind of taken care of last year, and okay. then I think uh, we were kind of like a very hot destination spot if we were indeed trying to you know put together a, a really like you know a, a super team. Mm. Um, you know, obviously the NetEase situation happened, and mm. um, we really didn't know if, like, uh, there were so many rumors, like, is there going to be an APAC this season? Is there, are they all going to be in LA this season? Are they uh, only going to have three teams and contenders this season? Like, there were so many different things that were happening that there was, like, no way we can just commit and, like, compete with um, some of the NA teams and, and the offers they said are it's now or we're moving to someone else kind of situation. Mm. So, um, you know, we did trial pretty much um, the the best players that were available and, and willing to trial. And I think Mag uh, definitely uh, stood out to us. Uh, obviously, he's um, a player with incredible potential, especially mechanically. Um, I think this goes back to like our playoffs um, when we uh, came to Korea uh, with the top four during the COVID year. Mm. And I remember it was like, I was sitting there, I think with like me and like Chris, uh, like a few of us were sitting there and just watching Mag's POV like, yo, <laughs> this guy next year, like let's try to get him. And like I, we did like kind of talk to them, but I think at that time, um washington was um big big money bags so uh it, it was like an absurd situation to buy out versus finding a you know a veteran uh already established veteran sure. uh mono, mono for you know i think a much better value and i think um you know we were so excited about him back then and i think for me it's a different coaching staff now but sure. i I still remember sitting there with like a bunch <laughs> of players and coaches sitting there just watching him play his Winston and be like, that is incredible. And I, I think for me personally, you know, his time in the league so far hasn't necessarily um, 
showcased how good he truly can be. And I think, um, and I think it's not a question of mechanics. It's a question of, you know, kind of like team uh, synergy and kind of like coaching overall. And I think uh, I have more confidence in uh, our backline versus some of the last couple of years that uh, Mag had to play with. And, sure. you know, no, nothing negative against them, but it's just I do think that uh, our coaches and uh, backline will probably provide him a a uh, better scenario and situation to pop off. Oh, most definitely. I think anybody who's even remotely familiar with uh, contenders in the last, you know, granted it's, you know, a little bit farther removed than a couple, you know, years, but it doesn't take much to find, you know, a mag highlight reel from, you know, his time on Runaway or, you know, even some of the, I think the start of, you know, last year for yeah. Washington, I was very excited to see mag kind of really, step into his own a little bit, you know, return to that playmaking style that I think he was kind of known for. Um, obviously, didn't end up getting to that full potential, um, but you could see it still there. So this is definitely, um, was definitely an exciting prospect. I kind of always was like, all right, where Infernal's got some moves they can still make, you know, Mag's still there. You put him in a new environment, like you said, maybe, maybe we can still get, you know, Mag for, a couple more years, he can step into maybe a new, a new system, you know, a new environment. Yeah. Really, kind of step into his own and and you know lead a team like we kind of thought he would. I think what twenty 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 one. I think is mm -hmm. it, it was his rookie debut on Justice and yeah. yeah, it was not necessarily what we expected. You could you could still see it if you looked hard enough. You could you could find like little moments like dang, Magus Mag's got the talent. But it yeah. just doesn't wasn't always necessarily super cohesive. Just because they're are you still kind of are, are we reserved when it comes to Mag or I remember interviewing Mag uh, during the mm, time yeah. where he was still like starting, and I think uh, junk it was probably junk at Queen stage is what I have in mind. And I felt okay. like there his confidence was high. He was confident on the hero, and he was confident that he could like really make a difference in the game. And I think that's. That's when he was like really scary. Mm. But I also realized that this feels like a player that definitely like it's it's all mental uh, in terms mm. of like what what is what's the trajectory of the team? How does he feel about the picks that he has to play, right? And sure. this is okay, to keep it real, that this is one of the the aspects I think that you guys will have to master this year. Because at least so far, looks like that's your starting guy. That's your one guy that you get, right, for all the tanks. And I think that's a trend across the league that uh, a lot of teams are running right now. Um, mm. But, yeah, um, I'm looking forward to that. Unless, of course, uh, there's there's another signing which you eventually have to take uh, or make. And we'll eventually also talk about that. But, um, yeah, in terms of Mag, I always felt like he's he's, he's pretty flexible. Uh, in in a wide area, like for instance, his Doom was pretty good. He might have actually been yeah. Doom meta when I interviewed him. Yeah, I remember that interview because of the headline specifically read, "I think I'm a great Doom." Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. And and like it, to be fair, like to Mag's credit, he's not just like of an aggressive tank player. He's not only flexible. Um, I guess that's kind of the point I was leading to. Like he actually weirdly is flexible for somebody who kind of transitioned into Overwatch 2 as, you know, a primary main tank, you know, what we assume or like project is 
you know, these more traditional main tank players. So for somebody who sits in a role accompanied by some of his peers that, you know, are a little bit more centered around Winston or maybe like Ryan specialist mag has kind of built a career playing a vast majority of these heroes. And I, I don't think that really can be un, like underlined enough for, you know, infernal fans who are, you know, are looking to get excited and maybe are a little hesitant on mag. I think there are some connective tissue that you can kind of look at at this character and be like, okay, you know, there, there are, you know, some problems. It wasn't necessarily what, you know, the, the, the experts and pundits kind of like pitched at us, but there is attributes to this player that do make him special. And it, it looks like, and every, I think if Rostin can kind of back this up as well. It feels like this system, this coaching staff, um, maybe even some of the players kind of all, coalesce into something that mag can really help lead right like obviously tank players in overwatch 2 really setting the tempo really setting the pace in a lot of these fights i think that was a big criticism for me going all the way back to like i think 2020 or rather 2021 going into 2022 um was was mag's kind of hesitancy his absence and that that was it felt kind of palpable obviously fresh start with infernal new players some of them rookies well i guess not rookies it's it's still so weird to kind of look at them in three and zest yeah. like oh yeah they're still so young like i got so much to learn they're still green it's like no they've been in the they did a whole year last year like they're not rookies anymore um and i'm i'm personally i'm very excited to see like how mag and zest kind of like synergized that was always something that it felt was kind of lost for mag it was like that that dps follow-up there were there yeah. were very talented dps players that he was playing alongside but it wasn't necessarily super cohesive so in that same kind of realm um is mag somebody like is have is the team all together is that like, yeah so everyone got together oh sorry you meant like physically no? yeah, yeah physically is everybody in the yeah. office everybody okay yeah so we just reported uh end of last week so it just got everyone in uh starting to build that rapport and i think mm. um you know one thing about you know thing um mag being our only tank is like on a strategic standpoint for coaching mm. i think when you have a, a dedicated off tank and a dedicated main tank the moment you put in your roster for that map it's like very obvious to the other sure. coach what they're going to play and it just puts a lot of coaches in this weird situation where a it's obvious they're going to counter us b if you know if they're going to counter us do we counter mind game them and counter them and bring out our off tank on sure. a main tank or a main tank on an off tank and then that just has so many situations to just look so bad mm. so i think um I think the new model is really like some of those like hyper flex uh, tank players like uh, someone or Smurf, mm -hmm. for, for example, like where they really do cover a lot, you know, and I think uh, that's something that our coaches really value this year. And I think we're very excited for Mag because he is one of the more flexible and mechanical tanks in the league. And I think um, having a good... Uh, system where he understands you know when to be aggressive when to peel and like really when you know to trust his supports and and the dps follow-up i think that will take him to that next level the level that we really thought he was supposed to be when he entered the league mm. no it's kind of i think he's in that kind of you know he's in maybe an edge case but i think he is kind of in that unicorn class of the you know those tank players that can Play the field like you said be very flexible um any any last thoughts with with mag Giska? um it's interesting i'll i'll i think 
you your piece was about this, right? I just uh Yeah. 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 I, I do feel once again keeping it real, this is probably Mark's last chance to you know, really bring or you know, show that the potential that we all thought he had is also workable at the big leagues, right? I think mm -hmm. um there's of course, like whatever, like the the justice situation, given that you know, like how that ended, probably wasn't also the uh, the easiest to maneuver. Uh, getting into the um, yeah, uprising definitely wasn't the easiest either. Getting into that roster, like also knowing like how many tanks there were, he he was competing against that yeah. whole situation. Um, mm -hmm. def definitely not the easiest. Also, generally playing for Boston is is a very different experience. I I think like that practice schedule was always very very intense um it's i i feel like yes but for the reasons that we talked about in the opening in terms of uh the the, the values that this team seems to have it's like okay this this is the the new angle where i can legitimately see that this this like if if it doesn't work here I'm not sure I'd be if I was a GM after after this I'd be uh you know doubling down on on Mac or like okay for for a team that has no aspirations maybe for sure. like a team that um that wants to you know compete in the APEC region and whatnot I think that's it's a fine signing especially because of the upside um but yeah like I I think there's there's definitely like a top Top five, top three tank in there. We just got to peel it out, right? Yep. Yeah. One hundred percent. And I thank you, Ross, and you kind of underlined this team as a whole. As I'm going through some of these names, I'm like, no, that kind of fits. Like the hunger, the like the the drive to kind of not necessarily prove people wrong, but to kind of like feel feel full, be be within the Overwatch League, and know that you are amongst you know, the world class, you know, like Iska had talked about with Skewed, kind of living in the shadow a little bit, being that third man when it came to, you know, the flex support metas, obviously having his time in the spotlight, but then kind of, you know, having to play second fiddle. Mag, obviously, you know, like we're talking about, not necessarily living up to the expectation. Um, when it comes to some of the players that have returned, I think that, at least for me, um, we've we've seen how good zest is we've seen you know i think i i will forever uh lament mn3 not getting enough praise for that ash performance that just at, he just taking over the game by himself i think that is probably one of the hardest carry performances we've probably seen in the overwatch league to date um just in terms of the history just an absolute monster performance but when it comes to like fix a zest mn3 who are these guys like personally like we've seen them play but like is zest like this goofy kind of jokester type is mn3 like very stoic like who are the way that i always kind of post it like in like you know candid talks with people is like who are they as like a part of a car if we think of a team as like a like a, a vehicle like who is who is mn3 is he like driving is he like the vocal leader is he like the in-game leader like who who are some of these players like personally <laughs> that's funny um uh mn3 is the actual physical driver okay so, um, <laughs> <laughs> so he's uh you know he, he uh one of the things with offseason he wanted to do was get his driver's license and okay um just so that you know 
he really does like to kind of, you know, not always be in the same place, kind of like have a change of scenery. So he'll drive out with players and go somewhere sometimes. And that's like really nice to see. Um, uh, I think um, MN3 is very, uh, I think, soft-spoken. I mm. think he's someone who, um, I think he's very self-critical. And I think, you know, that's something that I really uh, want him to kind of work on, I think. And I think it's like something that I saw. It's like something I think about, like, the great hit scans when they're younger. They mm. expect their performance to always be at their flow state peak performance. And if they're out of that performance, they think that they've let the team down or let mm. themselves down. And I think uh, you can't always be at your, you know, 100 to 90 to 100 percent zone like i think operating and being able to uh kind of know when you're hot and not and like just like be confident not worry if today is not your day like you can still go out there and play confident i think that's something Mm -hmm. that i definitely want him to work on this year um he last year he did have to split play time with uh carpe and i think that was because during early scrims like carpe had a quicker understanding of the role that each character plays sure. in each meta because he's had so much experience and he mm-hmm. understands, you know, team play, the pressure situations. And I think uh, MN3 had such a great opportunity to learn and like, like a, you know, like a great uh, court, like Brett Favre and bringing up Aaron Rodgers, like sure. having to watch like someone behind, like, I think he has learned so much from that and i think he's got to see like oh this is something i could do uh this is what i shouldn't do and then he has played the game you know he played he's like just such a grinder so i think mm. for me i think this is that leap where he takes some of those um highs those super high highs and kind of brings them more consistently and i think when he, that happens like he's truly a special player like i think um yeah, I think he could really be like the best like flick scan player the game has ever seen. Oh, I mean, without a doubt, after last year, like, if yeah. that wasn't evident last year that he could be again, the potential is there. And if he's you know sitting behind Carpe and you know you're observing that he is kind of like adapting and maybe molding some of the you know more mental side of the things where you know he isn't super hard on himself and he can kind of like ease into you know just accepting where he is today and you know just just being okay with that but still having like this crazy mechanical skill like mn3 on his growth arc like that's a that's a scary that's a scary scary guy that's a monster i i yeah. have i have this okay please tell me if i'm bullshitting because i have this <laughs> simulacrum like the specter of like so like small little things that i picked up on last season also like i think i interviewed him once and uh, I think also just looking at the gameplay, I feel like the big split between uh, MN3 and Carpe was specifically Sojourn. And I have this thing bookmarked in my mind about uh, MN3 where he probably, there was something that I remember where he really wasn't that high on how the tracking uh, mechanism of Sojourn played out, right? And that seemed to be like this thing that really messed with his confidence, and that caused like you guys to to uh, like uh, have a little bit of a back and forth on Sojourn with Kape as well. 
I feel like this guy, for the lack of a better word, has like straight up pine DNA when it comes to click flick hit hit scan, right? Like that's mm. that's the the bloodline of like it started with Taimu, I guess. Then it was pine. <laughs> that, like I, I think like it's it's probably harder to see that even Ants wasn't that. Um, the the like crass like you know three sixty no scope flick uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, clicks. So it's it's like the, now this is a, this also why he's an exciting player. But it felt like this it was like this one mechanic that his mental almost like bent around a little bit, and he had to come to terms with. So so I guess my question is like, does he like sojourn now? You know, it's like it. That's it's definitely there's a lot of truth in that. But I actually think the sojourn metas that we had were a little actually different uh, when they were played. Like there is one where the sojourn kind of like has to make decisions to flank and play on the side, and like a uh, very team coordinated style where you, when you dive in, like you have to like split off to the side and get your, you know, like really make a decision on what position you need to be in. And then there's another meta where sojourn kind of hangs with the team and hangs back with backline and it's like more of a poke meta where it's like building up the the rail gun and then shooting you know like right clicking someone in the head and like mm-hmm. i think that is where he was stronger than carpe and i think uh i actually think he um you know obviously he is very much a a flick scan god but i think um i don't actually think that uh, it, it was necessarily as big of a problem as you might think, like the the actual yeah. uh, primary fire. Uh, I think it's it's it was just more of a difference in like the actual Sorgen play style of that meta, actually. So moving like I think the way that you kind of describe it kind of brings me back to like the the Junker Queen like Jotes meta, as you know the Western fans kind of like took the reins and ran with it with the naming conventions there a little bit, like kind of playing in these 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 trenches and then having you know somebody like mn3 just kind of having to like rely on those right clicks to kind of like you said kind of poke out some 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 headshots get those team fight wins early obviously like very strategic at where you position super super impactful there but maybe on those earlier sojourn metas where you kind of had to make maybe individual plays away from the team that was where there was a hang-up it sounds like yeah i think i mean um i I would say that uh, he has a tendency to potentially overheat. Maybe I think. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like I think um, he really, like when he's you know he gets that first kill. Like I think he, I mean I love that. Like I would love to see a player overheat than shy away from sure, you know sure, taking sure. those risky shots. And I think um, you know there's a lot of players who like hold on to the rail gun until they know that like oh this is a, this is a good situation. Like even yeah. you know even a body shot is high value in this situation. And, but he'll take like any shot. And I think his hero damage done uh, per 10 minutes was like very high for a sojourn as well. And I think, um, I think having the more he played last year, like the later, a, a big trend for him was that he would kind of see and emulate what Carpe does, then kind of stumble a little bit in the beginning when he first got stage time. And then by the time our tournament came around, he looked very very good and i think that trend of kind of giving him more time and dedicated play time to grow and feel comfortable in the role is something that we really are excited for this year and i think that you know like i think we had a lot of late runs and playoffs that we looked much better than we did early in the stage and i think that was like a big theme last year and i think if we get him to that tournament 
uh, stage level sooner, and I think uh, he will look very much more consistent and much better in this stage. Are you guys like all concerned about theory? like in my mind? Okay, this is this is very clearly like a hard hit scan god. Then again, like Overwatch's meta is a harsh mistress sometimes, and it, mm. like specifically, like I, I I think, for instance, especially like let's say there's a Genji Tracer meta. That's you probably want to clone Zest for that one. Um, what 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 happens then? Like, ha ha have you guys uh, put Emmet three on like a grind schedule? Or see, this is my leading question where I'm trying to probe out where the sixth man could come in, and then everyone can fill in the puzzle, right? So, what about Emmet three uh, on all those off picks? Like, I mean, it's it. I think the big question mark and worry for me is actually that character named Sombra. Mm. <laughs> I think it's kind of been a uh, you know, since Kisu left the team, honestly, like it has been a very hard role to fill for us here. Um and I'm you know, I'm always hoping it's it's not a, a Sombra meta. <laughs> and I think uh but I do think that uh there have been times where uh MN three has played a very high level tracer and and even sombra um in contenders before and i think mm -hmm. definitely there have been times where he has uh struggled with those characters in contenders before as well but i think um really it, it's like not a with those characters it's not like really a mechanical question like mm -hmm. i think on a mechanical level he can do what needs to be done uh i think it is very much uh a cooldown decision making like uh sure. yeah like a like cooldown character and i think that is something where i really do trust and challenge my coaches to like really um instill better decision making and confidence really in the decision making uh for those characters and i think as just a raw piece of potential like he i don't think he's has any like shortcomings in those ways and i think um just need a little more time and understanding and individual like coaching for those uh those characters hmm. that makes sense a lot of trust there placing placing you know because again i think yes kind of hits it i think that's a, that's a pretty fair point right like there those metas do kind of pop up every once in a while where it's like okay yeah. we do need this like off tracer pick you know god forbid you know it's like an echo tracer or like a far tracer it's like okay zest we know where zest is going now, who now where does MN3 kind of fit into the picture? Is he, you know, does he still kind of bring that on? And it sounds like you guys, you know, trust him. It's maybe not necessarily up to like the same degree that the flick scans, you know, the widows, the ash, you know, some of the sojourn um, can be. But it sounds like you guys trust him to at least, you know, bring something to the table that, you know, isn't isn't going to like hinder the team. It's 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 something you guys trust. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I think we, we do trust that. And I think. Um... I think what I would worry more about is a double hit scan meta because okay, yeah, I think that's, that's something fair. where we we've been prepared for a lot of seasons for for that to happen, and I think it hasn't really happened. So um, mm. I think that's some. I think I would worry more about that than uh, a meta where like I I don't necessarily consider like too many of the rosters, especially in APAC, to be like super deep in hero pools for. Um, the DPS, and I think, um, I I think that I'm just overall confident that e even if say there's this thing that's just a really, really terrible 
meta for you know one of our DPS that we would find a a creative counter or something where you know like we have such a strong performance on a certain character that we we can even find success in countering their playstyle with something unique. And I think um, really though those their hero pools are by no means uh, small at all. And I think you know we've had a couple of moments where MN3 even like for a last point on like uh some maps like he'd have to actually hop on to like genji and like if you watch it it's like yeah he's not not zest but it's actually like pretty Better good too like, okay yeah. yeah like so i think um uh one thing about um our our players that i i think we've already said before is potential but i think really uh grinding the game they're mm really hardworking and they're really i think stressing um you know keeping your you know your aces strong but also like kind of becoming a, a jack of all trades um and really knowing how to flex into anything and then with that meta comes out then we can fine tune that and make you into some sort of a king and then um and i think uh you know i think that's definitely something that i am trusting our players to continue to work hard at. and then really you know i'm challenging my, my coaches this year like mm. i think this is it's definitely something that um i expect them to develop you know when you have a much smaller roster than sure. you know, ever before and you know watch history like i think and you keep the same number of coaches i expect that the individual attention to each player their growth their mental management should be much higher mm. i think it's only to be expected right Smaller, smaller class sizes in school. You, you get some, you know, hands-on education. Get some help there. Exactly. Yeah. So it makes sense. There was one thing in there that you mentioned that I, I think, have to request clarity on because I think, like, the way I see those other teams, uh, they they are pretty flexible. So you said like you you don't consider a lot of the APEC uh, DPS lines to be super flexible. Is honestly like okay. I feel like that's probably not true for Spark. It's not true I for Dallas. I, uh, I think you could say that probably about Charge in, other than Choice One. I think Choice One can probably also play just about anything. Um, then I, I, we don't know what Dragons will look like. Uh, okay, I realize now we are getting into a territory where I'm tr trying to get leaks from you. Um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, I mean, Fishermanuska Dynasty has profit. That's an interesting statement, right? Like, how do you, how you do you? I think like I'm probably overinterpreting this a little bit. But uh, what did you mean, like, by you felt like there there isn't uh, as much flexibility? No, actually, you know, I I guess the rosters aren't as deep, maybe, and I think, yeah, um, right. and I think, um, no, actually, I mean, the names, the teams you brought up, those are you know very flexible pieces for sure. And I think, um, like someone like Leave can really play everything. <laughs> and I think that that team is like super. I think that's super exciting, to, to be honest. And I think uh, having Dallas here is obviously, uh, you know, maybe not not the best news for, uh, for APAC. <laughs> you know, they are a pretty good team. I think they they did pretty well last year. I, I think at some point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think they had a pretty so, good season. Yeah, so I, I think. Um, uh, I, I think we really just trust these two. I mean, I think uh, these are guys are people who uh, we've seen how much they've grown in just one year, and like mm. we're gonna see how much they can grow in another year. And yeah, I think 
Yeah, I, I think that uh, right now I, I feel very, we feel very comfortable with them covering everything they need to cover. Mm. And I, obviously there could be a meta that comes up where, you know, we scratch our heads and wonder like, you know, how do we tackle this problem? Uh, but I think just, I just think that when it comes to the DPS performance in APAC, I, I really think that we, you know, even with some of these incredible uh, teams, I think, uh, incredible names, I do think that next year our DPS line still uh, stands up and they are still going to be, you know, extremely good in comparison to the rest of the DPS in, in APAC. I mean, yeah, 100%. I mean, even with some of those names that we, you know, just get kind of listed off with, you know, Dallas and maybe even, you know, some of Dynasty, the one Dynasty player that we know thus far. Um, I think MN3 and Zest not only just hold their own, but, you know, showed that they can compete. And I think that in some, I think in some facets, eh, yeah, no, I would say so. I would, I would say this, this feels like a very confident upgrade in a lot of positions when it comes to, uh, filling out the pieces around the two of them, and I think you know, Infernal as a as a whole, probably are better off for it, right? Like I think there were certain times where I did look at Zest, and I'm like, dude, he's just kind of like running over this game, like he's 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 dragging this team across the line, he's doing the thing, pass the ball to Zest, just get get him the ball, and he will just eliminate you on Genji. I, obviously, that's kind of the the pick that I think a lot of people associate yeah. with him. Um. Mm -hmm. But MN3 is no slouch in that regard. We've seen what Mag can do. You know, Skewed has been a fantastic player. I've never, I'm going to be completely honest, right? I'm going to just out myself. I've never been huge on Fixa. But again, in the proper situation, in the proper environment, I, I'm, you know, willing to give, if Ross is willing to give all these players all kinds of second chances, I'm going to, I'm going to clean slate for me, Fixa. I'm, I'm ready to, you know, be, be shocked. When it comes to Fixa, you know, it, who who is he personally? That's been somebody that I think. Um, well, I think in general, a lot of the the Western fans don't get a ton of like insight into the Korean players. But like, who is who is Fixa for the team? Like, he's was the youngest player of our team last year, um, okay. and he was like, actually, if the season had started as initially planned, he wouldn't have been eligible to start the season, <laughs> uh, which would have been weird. So, uh, sure. but that that news came out, and we're like, oh, we don't have to sign a thirty mm. day. Like, oh, that's like really lucky. So. Uh, I think he's someone who's, you know, like, like if anyone's actually like uh, really like seen his aim and mechanics, I think mm. that's like always been like his uh, major plus side. And I think um, a lot of um, main supports, like traditionally, like before Watch League, main supports literally, I mean, not all of them, but many of them didn't have like any mechanics. They no, just sat they were, there. They just, sat on the know, cart. Yeah, they just sat there and pressed either, you know. Yep boost or heal and then they just had very good shot calling old tracking and uh beat timing and i think as like this year we're expecting you know the next couple of characters that will be in the league to be you know supports and i think um uh, when the day when a main support character needs aim i think that's like um i think that's the first time i think we really see fix it like uh, actually, like gapping other main supports. Okay. Uh, and I'm like hoping, like I think main supports deserve a character that you know has like a, you know, very high mechanical upside. And I think mm. uh, with two more characters coming out, I imagine that one of them will be. Um, and I think uh, he, 
uh i wrote about it a little bit in in longer but he's like really was really nervous uh to start uh the first the beginning of the season and i think um he's someone that uh nerves didn't actually it's interesting because like some of the most nervous games he had wasn't necessarily his his bad games but Mm. overall i think uh when you're the youngest player in the team and you have like older guys telling you like oh you should play like this and then you have coaches saying no you should play like this and i think mm. uh in his head i think he wasn't like always clear obvious to do what also he thought was best you know okay. and i think okay. when you kind of don't have that confidence like i've seen a lot of main supports that are actually really good look like struggle massively in situations where they're just not confident i think that's that is one of those positions where you need to beat with confidence if you're not if you're second guessing for half a second oh you're missed do i beat here or not you might ajax like right there and like and i think um that is something where um i would say that for sure uh, i'll agree with fans that like last year i think particularly some of like the big old usage timing uh wasn't uh you know wasn't wasn't great uh but i think overall when you look at his performance on uh flexing to you know honor or something or a flex support like bap in such a short amount of practice time he had like he did look so much better and like you know some people joke like his flex supports better than his main support <laughs> but you know we have a main support where some people are saying his i mean a flex support where some people are joking saying his sure, main support yeah. is better than his flex support and i think that is uh kind of exactly where we wanted to be and i think okay. It's with two new sports. I really think we don't know what will be asked of players. And I think mm. players that are able to pick up other support characters that they haven't been known for their whole career and perform, you know, at a at a good level in the Overwatch League, I think that speaks volumes. And I think, um, of course, like the the way the team plays as a whole and like the old usage, I think, those are things that I would say is more of a something that needs to be coached better and a better like maybe a standard sure. uh, for like how the team plays together and a standard for when we decide to use certain ults against certain ults or counter mm-hmm. it. I think those things need to be fleshed out more and be kind of put into confidence. Um, and I think that those issues kind of go away. But as far as like a mechanical and flexible mindset for our two sports, it's like I think it's kind of crazy because you know. If you have like a Lucio Brig meta, I think it's it, we should be in a very good situation. And I think if we have a double flex support situation, I also think we're in a very good situation. And I think um, flexibility for support is just really something that I I think a lot of um, a lot of uh, coaches and GMs will think it will be very important for the next season. Oh, for sure. I think that we've gone. There's been a few years. I think we've kind of ruminated on this on on the show for a little bit that you know the support we, we've seen a very rigid change obviously with overwatch moving to a single tank um but with supports it feels like there is this slow creeping move that you know the the subcategories that we typically define as you know main support and flex supports are kind of you know homogenizing they're not necessarily very strict lines those boundaries are not necessarily holding up these days and yeah, and it was it's kind of funny that you pointed out they do complement each other in in very surprising ways that I, I didn't clock at first. Yes, is that something that you you kind of picked up on or 
Yeah, I think like here's here's my my thing, right? Like in my <clears throat> mind, we started this roster roster talk with like a giant block of marble, and we've tried to chisel away at uh, you know, like who's the sixth player? Okay, so. <laughs> Mac is very flexible, and then the DPS are very flexible, and now Fixer is very flexible. Like, where, where's the attack vector for us, Joe? We, where we can, where can we, you know, find the sixth player in in the block that's already there, you know? And I don't know, I don't know what kind of clue hunt game you're going on, but you could just yeah. ask him. You could just ask Rosin, hey Rosin, who do you have a sixth member? If you had to sign a sixth member, who might, you know, what role might they play? Yeah, uh, you know, we don't, uh, we really, and honestly, we don't have a six player yet. And I think okay. uh, we have ideas for sure. what holes we might have, but I think we really, you know, we're just starting scrims today. Um, uh, and I think we don't really know what holes we really have. And I think a big part of a lot of the mentality of the players we, we, we brought in is that we want to show them that we trust them. Sure. And we okay. want to show them that, like, you know, there isn't some, you know, replacement for your one bad, you know, you have one bad match or a, a mm -hmm. bad day, a week of scrims and next guy in. Like, I think we really kind of want to give them that room to feel comfortable to grow and, and mm. really feel comfortable to, you know, take risks and, you know, not play scared. And I think um, that is kind of, I think, an approach we're going to keep. I think... Um, you know, I talk so much with Cody. We we like it's kind of like one of those things that we really kind of argue a bit about, and like kind of like go back and forth a lot about like, you know, what what do we do with that sixth slot? And I think for us, we I think it's kind of like a wait and see approach, and kind of see mm. what what we need if we really need something, if we don't need something. And I and I I imagine that position could potentially be a a a fluid position where you know say you know, we need someone for a, a you know, a couple stages, then we will sign them for a, a couple stages. And then if we need someone for a different stage, like kind of a, maybe not a season long piece is, sure. is kind of how, how we might approach that role. Um, then again, um, we, you know, we also looked at a lot of the, you know, there are some good talent still in free agency, but, you know, Adding another player doesn't necessarily mean you're like adding uh, like incredible amount of value. And I think uh, also I think one of the hardest things ever for Overwatch history is is really how do you keep um, your non-starting or non-playing players sharp? How do you continue to improve them if they're not getting actual stage time? You know how do you uh, when scrim quality scrim time can be scarce? Like do you really want to like give up maps? when you could be giving it to your starting roster. Those are all questions that, you know, we've, every team has, has been asking and, and struggling with over the history. And I think that's something where we are also like really thinking about as we make that decision. Yeah. I feel like we're now no longer in a position, like for instance, famously, like Dallas used to <laughs> run like in houses and whatnot with yeah. coaches that were capable of picking up the slack there or like the, the specifically like for, for uh, I guess for Dallas, it was um, the support positions with Rascal and Aid that were able to take that on and then just, you know, mirror the, the situation there. So um, there, there are some interesting ways to deal with the situation. 
But I will say that it's, of course, like there's, there, there has been a lot of creativity. One of them is having recreating uh, Fusion Union, have them play in Europe. Uh, <laughs> you know, others is um, to, of course, like that's a little unfair because you definitely did that because of a unique situation. But um, I, we also talked to Askoft uh, about this and he was also mm -hmm. pretty much on the, on the page of like, I would just want five guys and there's there's a certain quality about like knowing I will start and I will get the chance and like this is this is something I personally have to deal with. I can't just fall back on someone else, right? So um, that's also just an economic reality of this league. I don't think anyone really is there a deep roster left. I don't think so, right? Like not nobody ever that's super deep. Like I don't think there will be like ten man rosters um, nah. this year. So. Yeah, it's a it's a reality that we had to face. It's also interesting in terms of the bounce back potential. I think in prior years, it, what the easy solution, of course, was to just switch your starter, and then like a career might be buried here. The mm. the loop around improve, and then you know improvement is not linear. Sometimes they have breakthrough moments, and suddenly it looks like oh wait, like someone looked pretty bad, honestly, like early in this year. And then came around. Like honestly, like I think that's it's a little underappreciated, but I feel almost feel like that's the story of Dallas, like for the first half of the year, right? Like they weren't championship caliber for a decent amount of the season. And yeah, then as the start the, of it for sure. Yeah, right. And as the the meta falls into the lab, and they they also like figure some stuff out, they um. They get footing and then probably become the best team in the world in the second half of the season, right? So, um, mm -hmm. I I'm pretty sympathetic to these different economic realities. I also don't think the value they, that we're losing is just all bad in terms of like the ability to to just have someone else pick up or have the uh, hero pool. I also was pretty surprised to see generally across the league how. The flexibility of some of the starters, uh, even across history, sort of like artificially hidden from us. Like, I feel like oh yeah, nobody like we kind of had to learn that Smurf was this hyperflex tank mm -hmm. uh, once they he like stepped out of a team with super, um, mm -hmm. and then yeah. he could shine there. So I think there's a, there's a lot of hidden potential uh, for for a lot of these players. I think we've also filtered over the years for just highly adaptable. Uh, kinds of folks where we we now have selected for guys that can't be one tricks anymore. It's not a feasible thing to be in in Overwatch. The, the I think the last remaining position, if if there's any, is ball. Um, and it's it's a yeah. Well, like there's definitely there's a definitely like a weak point for a lot of the the starting main tanks where they just don't have a good one. Sure, um, of course. Uh, I think a weird skill set to grind for sure like and then others are probably not as represented we could, could talk about sigma and whatnot but yeah i think like if yeah. if there's something to be said about like one trick potential it's probably mostly given in the tank role but yeah like i i think that's i think it's just a adaptability point the one thing that i'm a little bit hesitant on is the the I'm I'm trying to be cognizant of the sort of like saying okay this guy is like very good mechanically and everything else mm -hmm. can be taught probably can't <laughs> to the fullest extent 
right? Like mm. this, like whatever there is in that player, the talent to be very mechanical. I think it's almost like an underappreciation of, for instance, someone like a skill set like Zest, who just like locks into the matrix of how a game is played. Someone like Proper, who understands the entire thing, like that's almost impossible to teach, right? Like that's that's a skill yeah. in itself. Like whatever you think is going on into in that hand-eye coordination in the brain, that that works. That same talent is not something they just picked up from someone telling them and reading a book, right? That's that in mm -hmm. itself is a skill set that's probably very hard to reciprocate. It's it's just such a such a human thing to say. Well, the hardware is the like click on head thing, and then the software is just like whatever we tell you. It's probably not that easy, right? Yeah, and I think those players are just overall rare, and I think. Um, in some metas, it's it's easier for some players to like how I like describe like Zest and like you know those special players. I think like Alarm is the same way and like where oh, yeah. I feel like they see the game from top down, even mm. though they they get their own POV, but they can see in their head they like really just without knowing exactly where everyone is, just actually kind of know where everyone is in the map at the same time. And I think. Um, I think like, you know, like incredible point guards in NBA have like that yes. same ability where they just have this vision and um, it almost like at, at a certain point of honing that vision, you almost feel like you could see the future a little bit. And I think, uh, you know, that's just, I think those players, there aren't a lot of those players in the league though. And I think, uh, and I think for us, like our, I think where we have to improve, I think is like coaching can create um situations where you know what to look for and i think uh i really just think that um some of uh the, the shortcomings of the players we have right now were really due to just a situation and like maybe a, the the team play that wasn't there and i think uh i think the roster we have right now really unlocks kind of really using zest using mn3 like mm. there are very different types of players and i think in every way we we have to kind of adapt how the other pieces work together with them and i think those players the other players added have a higher ceiling i think potential than we did kind of last year and i think if we performed pretty well last year by the time our players kind of wrap their head around like how how the meta is and their job and role in the meta then I think we did perform very well. Um, and I think that is something that I expect to be even better this year. So that's, I guess that's kind of why I'm like so optimistic and very, um, you know, just like really trusting that their mechanics will actually lead to that better performance. Yeah, I think to, to Yiska's point as well, it, it feels like, you know, if I'm going to hone in on Fixa for a moment, not to, not to critique as, as hard as maybe I, I, I do in the midseason, um, but if there is this, you know, mechanically gifted player who, you know, maybe you just need to reel in when it comes to, you know, resource management or the positions that they take, you know, whatever kind of macro concept you want to kind of throw at them. I feel like that's much more easily taught than just like go grind out Lucio aim trainers or go X, Y, Z. You know, I feel like if and I think I think Rostin's kind of correct in saying that, like, obviously he's correct he's the gm of the fucking team um you know that that he he does have the talent it's just you know 
upping that that level of you know in-game sense to kind of grind out that that eagle eye-esque you know point guard you know top-down view that you kind of mentioned to be able to see kind of the flow of the game where people are kind of predictive in in that way it's i feel like not not necessarily getting to the predictive level is something that you can probably grind out i think we'd probably all agree with that but getting you know Maybe maybe helping him to see the game a little bit more clear to kind of widen that that POV out a little bit. I think that's something that you could not easily teach, but I think this is definitely doable across the season as a, as a whole. I think that's that's agreeable, right? Yeah, I think like the the thing that I don't want to like over overstate here because, for instance, one one area where I definitely feel like that's true that coaching can do a lot is like when I talk to the Toronto guys. And mm-hmm. like the, those guys were all on a team. They separate for a year. Everyone has different coaching experience. They come back together yeah. and they're like, well, in terms of like how the game wor- works, we feel like the shot guys have a, the best, best understanding of us. Right. And mm. that's down to nine case coaching. And like, of course, like a, one of the, if not the best coach of all time, Krusty. Um, so. I feel like there's definitely something there where coaching can unlock certain ways to think about the game. Um, I think basically like the way I, this is maybe also like a wow esports take, but if I feel like there is something to be said about the the ability to process a ton of information at the same time and make the correct uh, prediction. That's something that feels very much inherent to the player and something mm-hmm. that's really hard to teach. It's probably related to something like working memory that seems highly sure. genetic and whatnot. But there is something to be said about like fine-tuning the software on which this CPU runs on, right? 100%. Teaching, yep. teaching the things and the, the ways to see the game that helps that uh, hardware kick into gear, right? And I think that's definitely very fair to say that, that that's all coachable. There's also something to be said about Maybe you don't even need to necessarily coach the knowledge. You just gotta give him a chill pill and like to sure, teach him, yeah. teach him some you know mentality things, and in order to remain calm and access the abilities that a player has, that otherwise are locked away behind you know stage fright and all mm. those aspects, right? So yeah, definitely. Like I, I think there's something there. I my my aversion is just to say like, oh yeah, like it's it's almost like. Very often in Overwatch history, we had like this. I can fix him, right? Like, the- <laughs> <laughs> I think that's esports, but that is esports yeah. as a whole. Yeah, and I I feel like that's that's very often also doomed to fail. But especially when you have like a coaching situation that's very different than maybe the coaching staff that or the type of coaching staff that was there for players in the past. That's a worthwhile approach to take, right? Just to see if the completely other angle works, right? I think it's fair to say that, like, being coached by Laurie is very different from being coached by 9K, is very different from being coached by Askoft, right? Like, they're, they're mm. very different uh, mentalities at play, and that's that just, you, you gotta figure it out on the server. That's the only truth, right, that you will get in this game is, like, are you getting wins? It to be super yeah. results driven, but yeah, that's that's the that is the closest thing to truth that we're gonna get in this game. That's for sure. I know we, we've kind of like danced around the coaching staff as a whole, but I'd love to kind of get your thoughts, Rostin, on you know 
who the infernal obviously we know who the infernal coaching staff is, but like who are they really like obviously we've had some coaches on in the past and we've we've definitely like teased out this idea that you know even at the gm position it's like you know the the titles don't necessarily they're not like fitted caps right like they're very loose you're doing extra things the the definition of a head coach for one team is maybe different from another team so starting with jen for a moment like it who who kind of like is he more strategically oriented does he more delegate to char and sungman you know is he you know a a emotional kind of like almost i don't know if it's offensive to say maybe like a father figure to the guys to kind of like rally them together an emotional leader like who is who is jen to start with yeah i think um he is more of like that uh emotional leader someone who uh i think they're it's interesting because there's like i would say there's like I don't know, like systems coaches and like players coaches and sure. like, and well I think, uh, and I think um, he is more of like a player coach. And I think um, this is like there are a lot of uh, very successful uh, Overwatch League uh, coaches who are those players coaches who they they just really uh, kind of inspire very good thought process and conversation mm. and i think uh one thing that i think is incredible about jen is that he's a very good listener to the players he really does take extra time to talk to each player one-on-one a lot and hear each week like oh what is good what is you know what are you what are you best about what are you working on and really kind of just find a way to really bring the most out of them for their potential and i think um you know that is you know I've worked with a lot of head coaches already. Right. Uh, this is actually the first year I've actually kept a head coach, and I've got to work you know with uh, 9K KDG. I've worked with Chris Moby. I've worked with uh, we had a Hayes and Hui before, and I think every coach has been so different in their approach approach with players. And I think um, for me this year and mm-hmm. the way last season went, I I just saw I saw a group of guys that. Um, really, after a you know losing maybe one of like the best players on our team to kind of kind of just having a bunch of players starting out the year with kind of unsure about the expectations and watching every one of these pieces really uh, love each other in the locker room to grow together uh, to bounce back from a tough loss and like not be dejected or unmotivated in the next week of scrims i just felt overall the the emotional leadership and the direction of the team was always very strong Mm. and i think that's something that i really liked and i think um i had not you know really seen someone like that before that i worked with so i think um i i you know uh when the season ended uh i talked with him for a while and you know i think coaching wasn't perfect last year um there were a lot of things that i didn't like as well um but i think the the pros were something that i really wanted to work with and i think the cons are something that i knew we had ways to fix sure so um and i think uh no i i think um i do have a lot of high expectations for this coaching staff i think they will have a lot of pressure this year from me personally um i think um in so many of my seasons when i have a new head coach, I have to watch them first. I have sure. to see how do they do it naturally? What is their style? You know, what is what do they like to do? And then 
maybe a third of the year and i have like that you know big chance i, I liked this that you did i didn't like this that you did mm. here's something that a past coach of us did that i think you can benefit a lot by adding to your game here's something that i think you're doing too much of and maybe you should do less of that and give that to someone else like there's like these things that i've i've given so much feedback to coaches in the past and um uh this year you know we we have i they are very confident, and then I let them have you know a large majority. And every year, um, you you have to set your coaches up uh, for success. And I think they had a huge day in picking uh, the players we got. And I think um, they are confident that they they will be very competitive. Is is okay? You you say there are certain things that you saw that you think are fixable. Is there one thing that you could share? Like, is is there any particular like approach that? You think like you already implemented or um or are easy fixes that you pointed out yeah i think um we were i think our coaches were all it's like their first time as a overwatch league coaching trio and i think uh, a lot of times uh they were maybe a little too nice with each other i think they were more worried about like uh um uh, you know making sure that oh like you know, if, if two of the guys agree that that's right, then you know maybe I'm I'm the one that's wrong. I'm not going to mm -hmm. really fight fight my case. And I think uh, it takes energy to really argue your point. And I think uh, sometimes, like I think, one of like the most legendary coaching staff ever is like that shock trio of uh, yes. Junkbook, Nine K, and Krusty. And I think when I talked to Nine K a lot and I learned like uh, what they were like, I just know that those three were like inseparable. So like it literally like after the scrim is done they go and then like have a beer together and they're just like what the hell was that today like what is this and they really just sit there and like they really just talk so much together and i think mm. that is like the ideal way to be close with three coaches with three different mindsets and perspectives because then you feel comfortable kind of like arguing the point you have and even if the two guys disagree it's like you feel like oh but i really think this and listen to me and like i want to explain why and then even if you're not right at the end of the day that helps the other coaches think sure, oh that yeah. could be a pitfall in what we're thinking oh that's part of that is true and i think even though our coaches really got along well last year i don't think they had that level of like discussion or argument and, and i think um one thing that i challenged you know jin as the head coach to do is make sure he picks people that to work with that he, he can really do that and i think after a year um before they got back together they had like crazy one-on-ones with each other and like really just said like no this we really failed each other in this way and that way and i think um and i think uh both Hungmin and char have so much to offer from a strategic coaching standpoint from uh both as a team and on an individual level and mm -hmm. i think uh those two guys really didn't get to tap into their full potential i think it was often like uh chin and Sungmin agreed with an idea and then Chara felt like oh well then I guess, I guess my go, idea doesn't matter, yeah, yeah. you know, and then, and I think the same way where, you know, Jin and Chara had experience before, like, oh, we already know how to do this. And then someone's like, well, you don't want to listen to me. So I, um, I think, um, you know, those are definitely, um, things that they, I, they improved on and I expect that improvement to lead to better, I think, better strategy. I think, mm. um, I don't think we were, necessarily always um fast to understand the meta or how to play in the meta and i think those are things that 
I know are there because I've seen it in some metas where they're good and I've seen the discussions and when they do it, uh, it's great, but they need to have a little more, um, I guess, uh, responsibility to each other to push each other uh, to be stronger. And, and I'm going to be, um, you know, I promise them I'm going to be a little uh, more ruthless with them. And if I don't like <laughs> what I'm seeing early, um, I'm not going to, you know, let them, like last year was the, oh, let them learn you know, let them make their own mistakes so they learn sure. it from their, themselves. But if I see them making a mistake that they made last year, then I would be very uh, quick to remind them about the promise they've made to each other uh, and the org and the players. Getting on yeah, boxing I, I think... match after all, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> the coaching stuff. But, hey, listen, this this is definitely something that I'm very excited for. And like I'm, I'm, I'm jazzed that you're being so candid about this, Rostin. Is like this year feels like an absolute like cracked like coaching lineup for like like anybody who's like fascinated by coaching. Like this is I don't know that coaching in Overwatch has ever been like this crazy stacked. Like Ray's coming back, Christopher is like doing a crazy you know amazing thing over in London. You know Rush is going to APAC. We don't know what Moon's doing. Like it, it's it's super super exciting. Um, but it, what it kind of sounds like with what, what happened, um, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Rosson, um, it, it didn't sound like there was necessarily always a ton of like healthy conflict, right? Like, and this is something that Yiska has definitely. definitely been like super, you know, vocal about is that like conflict isn't necessarily bad. It's just, you know, when it gets toxic and, you know, maybe, you know, there's some ad hominems, you know, name calling it's, it's about like constructive, you know, conflict and addressing things. And it sounds like that's something that really is going to be pivotal for, you know, the success of the infernal in 2023 is like getting everybody's points, at least heard, like you said, to inform or, or maybe even not necessarily always convince, but to inform like, okay, this is how you're seeing the game. I, I, I hear that, um, you know, we can kind of play with that on the table and kind of think through it together. It, it sounds like a, a success. It, it sounds for a recipe success because it fosters a lot of growth, right? As long as everything can be constructive, everything's, there's nothing left off the table just because, you know, you're in the minority doesn't mean that you're wrong, right? Like you, you have that open space to kind of, like you said, vocalize your case, argue your case and, and at least let that be heard for a little bit. So it sounds like you you at least have a game plan and, and at least, you know, with what you're comfortable talking about, at least have a game plan moving into 2023, which is, is exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm jazzed. I'm excited as well. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you, you kind of mentioned obviously scrims are starting today. It's uh, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a, is it is it crispy there? Is it is it cold in Korea? I feel like it's got to be kind of cold. It started warming up this week, actually. Oh, okay. I mean, warming up by I don't know Celsius. I'm American, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's like a good like fifty fifty degrees. It's not like, bad, it, not was, bad. it was below freezing from like you know, hovering around like 20 to 30 for the mm. last couple of months. So this week's been really great. And it's, I'm from LA. So like 50 degree weather used to mean I have a jacket and now yeah. I'm just going out and feeling like, Oh, this is great. It's, okay. it's crazy. How our bodies just adapt yes. so quickly to the weather. It's, it is. I'm, I'm of a very similar mindset. You know, it's, it's nice like fall weather. It feels like, but you, you know, you talk about like heating up a little bit and we kind of teased this, you know, earlier on, obviously Dallas making their way to south korea we've seen what you know the spark's been cooking they've been in the kitchen they got they they got a pretty exciting roster so is 
where where does you know in in the infernal staff kind of sit as a whole how do you kind of feel about you know the the level of apac are you guys excited to kind of like really test what this roster can do against you know some of these you know legendary players in some sense is it is it you know like oh man like dallas is coming like this is it's getting a little rough out here it's a little yikes you know like how do you guys feel at the moment well i think having a team like dallas here is um a you know obviously as an opponent it it you know they're a tough opponent so you know getting wins at the end of the day is is the goal but as a scrim partner and someone that we could practice against sure, i think yeah. having them here is is really great i think what i've heard from a lot of the coaches in america last year and that uh certain metas or a lot of metas fuel just uh really kind of had a standard for how they're supposed to play in that meta very early and i think yeah. credit to to rush i think rush is you know one of the true you know the one of the greatest coaches in overwatch right now and i think um having a team like that here uh, means that we can kind of become stronger from each other very much faster mm. i think last year apec didn't have that many i would say like uh strong uh, coaching i think it, it was like a theme where it felt like we were a little slower to come to like a standard meta in in apac versus in an a and i think it, it is kind of just due to like a less less teams um less ability to book you know high quality scrims i think um so i think viewership wise i think um they fuel does have a lot of fans here in korea as well uh and i think um having them here will inevitably make us stronger and i think the goal for every team is to make a deep run in the international competition mm -hmm. so i think you know even in, within the apac if it you know if it makes us harder to secure that top two you know that's that is one thing but i think at the end of the day if you're not a top two in apac then you're definitely not supposed to be in the international i think that is um every team's goal should be to be able to compete at the international stage I mean, you kind of, you know, talk about the scrim culture and obviously how fast that kind of progresses uh, and in region, you know, obviously uh, APAC has had like a, a litany of, you know, crazy strong amateur talent, O2, you know, whether it be an academy team, vice versa, you know, it, there, there's always been incredibly strong scrim partners there. Um, and it doesn't seem like, at least at the beginning of this, like the off season, it was like, oh, you know, it, Apex looking a little rough. We don't know what's going on. It's it's difficult to kind of like project how good Apex going to be. But now with like the sudden development that like you know the defending champions are returning, or I guess not returning, but like going to Korea, um, and then looking at how strong Spark can be on paper, you know, it, does it? Are you are you necessarily? Does your expectations of the the level of Apex has that kind of like grown? since the start of the season where it's like okay like we do have like really really strong scrim partners is this something that you guys are looking forward to like increasing your growth it, is that like exciting i don't know yeah i think um there are some you know there are like a lot of na teams where like those rosters are like you know uh have a, had a lot of previous success and um also some of them you know with players that uh, we're always good, but are also just as hungry to to succeed. Mm. And I think some of those rosters on paper look, you know, very scary. You know, and I think for us in, in APAC, I was worried like, oh, is it going to be 
like a huge difference. And I think just because yeah. the overall number of players in the league has kind of uh, gone down a bit, there was there is still so much uh, talent available still. And I think especially like um, especially at like the DPS position, there are like so many uh, good players that can still perform very admirable in in a lot of metas. I think uh, I think APAC, you know, is I would say we're to start the year or in general, I think um, maybe not going to be as deep or strong as some of the NA rosters, but I think, um, I think overall, I think that to me, APAC quality feels stronger this year than last year. And I think really it, it just kind of depends on, I think, uh, really want to see what like the coaches in NA and how we kind of react to like I think Rush is, you know, again like credible coach. So I want to see like kind of like is is that coaching a big gap or is um you know are the rest of the coaches able to kind of uh perform and keep up and I think um I think you know before Dallas is announced I think I, I think our definite goal and something I think we expected was to be a top two sure. team in, in APAC. And I think now that's a little more of a question mark, but I think um, I think th- some exciting things will come out of uh, Seoul and Shanghai. Uh, I guess we're Seoul too, so Dynasty and Shanghai. <laughs> um, and then I think uh, and I think the, yeah, overall just because there's a, you know, a less amount of players, the quality of players is, mm. is higher overall on average in the league. And I think um, I think that the APAC will have a lot to say in when it comes to like the actual internationals. Okay, <laughs> I think uh, what what definitely happened is the considering like there's less room on each team. I think definitely like the overall level has risen. I'm I'm a little concerned for because so much quality talent like. Freaking Alpha Yi is now on Washington Justice, right? Like that—that's always the move that exemplifies like what kind of talent is has been siphoned off of um, APAC. At the same time, yeah, mm. like with the introduction of uh, Dallas, I think that's exciting. I think uh, what what uh, Spark is cooking up is definitely like I, I feel like that those and then you guys, those are definitely teams that can compete. Once again, we haven't seen the rest. So that will be interesting to see where where that goes. But yeah, I think generally speaking, I'd I'd like to push a little bit back on the on the statement that it feels like this uh, the that region is uh, feels stronger. I think that's probably also even something that the the Lord of APAC himself, Avril, would. F- I, I'm not sure. Like I don't want to put put what's in his mouth. I'm um I'm just aware how much how much talent was siphoned off. Like. You know, the the, yeah. the Shanghai no, I mean, guys exploded, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's basically probably the biggest thing, right? That Shanghai. I mean, uh, you gotta give Moon some credit, but at the same time, this is a generational team that ha- just departed and was mostly siphoned off by NA, right? Like that's that in itself yeah. is a pretty pretty big uh, shift. Yeah, I'm happy to see them. Uh, uh, some of them out of our division, actually, but. <laughs> <laughs> Like, like oh, I'm but, tired of playing you guys. Jesus, lip, please, please. <laughs> <laughs> go to an A. Terrorize somebody I, else. 
No, I mean, it, it's just like, it's an unfortunate thing with the offseason. Like, again, we, we talked about it earlier, but like, I don't think that would necessarily happen if like the situation with Nettie's and Apex uncertainty ever happened. Like, it was just so weird. Like, player says, hey, I, I want to come back to your team. I want to play here. Um, you know, you know, similar, same pay as before. It's, I'm happy with that to come back. I want to win with you guys. And then there's like, oh, but American team just offered me more and they said they don't have time. Like, can you please sign us? And we're like, Blizzard hasn't told us anything. Uh, we don't know what's, like, to be honest, Blizzard doesn't know any everything. And, like, it, it'd be the worst thing to sign player and then be like, oh, APAC might not happen and uh, mm-hmm. we're going to try to trade you now or send you off now. And I think right. it was really unlucky. And I think that did siphon off some of, like, the big... Um, yeah, I think some of, like, the biggest names did get siphoned off. And I think we kind of got... I think APAC did end up having to pick with what was left and available. But I think it was just surprising because there was still a good amount of talent left and available. And I think that's why I think, you know, APAC is... Um, yeah, on on paper and overall, like budget wise for for rosters, like there is a huge dis- discrepancy in like how much our teams are, you know, that we ended up. It's not like we didn't want to spend, but it's like at the end, you you pay players, you know, for their perceived and market value. And I think, um, you know, it, it like NA has like some ridiculous rosters. Like some of them are like crazy. And yeah, of course, um, I just. Sometimes when you have those types of rosters, they become very difficult to uh, manage and coach, uh, especially given the expectations. So that's something that I think uh, we really have to like keep an eye out for. I think like a big question mark or a, or a potential upside of the the APEC market is, of course, like the introduction of the contenders teams, right? And like, okay. Newsflash, I I believe in evolution. Don't know about you, Joe. I don't want to presume, but <laughs> the the thing that makes it exciting for me is the natural selection that happens at the contenders level that then filters up. Like the the only the most ferocious contenders team is going to meet you guys in these brackets, and that theoretically, even though it does feel like that, arguably has never been less free potential and maybe you can disagree with that considering you have been recruiting in in the scene for uh, several years now but it feels like this the the p- talent pool feels fairly drained but maybe that's also just not knowing enough about what's happening there like do you think there's a serious factor where like a- it's not just that the the teams in apex fair enough they have been siphoned off some some uh quality but whatever is happening contenders that may, maybe there's some interesting stuff happening there that could push apac further than we presume at this point yeah i think yeah it, there were like a couple of years that was very hard for contenders i think uh it definitely made it difficult for a lot of orgs to want to invest or for players to really grind out and, and really try to compete to their best level. And I think uh, the change um, is, I think, very good for that path to pro and attracting those top talents to be able to compete against uh, you know, actual Overwatch League talent. And I think uh, 
I think we'll see a lot of new names and a lot of new talent kind of uh, kind of develop starting from here on. And new names that we didn't expect to be so good will start performing very well. And I think definitely a, a little bit of an advantage for APAC is that it feels like some of those top players that have traditionally come from uh, the APAC region, like especially like you know a lot of these um, rookie Korean players, I think APAC teams are a little more mobile to kind of be able to quickly sign um, mm-hmm. and, and bring them on board in case they are you know truly uh, great talent. Um, uh, I think overall, I just I always just wonder like what if those teams are really good, like one of them, and they actually take Overwatch League? Like, that's just like a, like, I, I'm very just interested to see. Um, I think right now, it, it a lot of those uh, teams are still kind of in that rebuild process because a lot of the, you know, the Overwatch League offseason happened, a lot of these players sure. have shifted around. So we do have to kind of see uh, what happens. But I think, um, I'm just really excited to see a lot of these young players I think will be highly motivating to be able to compete against Overwatch League, and I think that uh, the the age of um, the minimum age has kind of been lowered, mm-hmm. and I think it is a lot more incentives to for someone who's you know very talented at gaming to you know really devote themselves to uh, contenders and and try to like make their way to Overwatch League. The kind of beauty of the you know the the partnered. I guess if you want to call it league in APAC right now, um, it, it it feels like there's a lot of, hopefully, um, there's a lot of longevity, right? We I think this esport, not um not at an increased rate or you know it doesn't stand anywhere different from like a StarCraft two or, or a League of Legends. Um, because there was definitely like those homegrown names, those 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 franchise, not franchise, but like those teams that really kind of paved the way for a lot of, you know, what we view of, of those esports that kind of like were very important in the early history of those games. Um, and it feels like for the future of APAC, it's very exciting because there is a possibility that with the, you know, the ability to have a contender team that can compete in the Overwatch League. You know, and, and again, win it all. Like there is a possibility, albeit you know, with what Yuska's saying, and you know, Ross and you kind of support this as well. Like, the, yes, there is a lot of talent that has gone on an exodus. Um, but if there's anything we know about South Korea, is they produce some of the best gamers in the world, bar none. I don't. It doesn't matter the game, right? Even in Valorant, you know, Stacks is crazy. Um, yeah. So there's there's not a there's no doubt. But I guess the idea or, or the, the fun thought is that, you know, maybe some of the, the names and the, the familiar orgs and some of the brands that maybe we lost in the transition into the Overwatch League, um, maybe they come back. You know, is that something that you guys think is on the table? Like a, you know, like an element mystic or, you know, maybe Flarvin and, you know, Runner want to kick back up Runaway again if there's a possibility. That you could get in the Overwatch, at least maybe even sponsor an Overwatch League, you know, a contenders team that's playing in the Overwatch League. You know, is there is there kind of is that on the table? Do you guys think? And maybe not necessarily for this season, but you know, if there is if this is super successful and there is a lot of you know engagement with it, is that something that's on the table for maybe next year? Yeah, I think it it really. Uh, I think a lot of obviously 
this team's kind of dropping out was due to the you know economy and ecosystem of sure. the league. And I think, um, you know, it, it's I think all those teams were built on passion, but ultimately they need to you know be able to continue to run their business. And I think when you start with passion, ultimately like all of those owners, in, including ourselves with our T1 team, like we care more about our player having a future and going mm. to a team that they want to go to versus let me get the highest dollar amount uh, possible. Like I think, and it's kind of really, at least for us, it's always been super important to uh, work with our contenders players and kind of like, uh, you know, inter- interview them in the season and see like, oh, like, you know, what are your, what are the strengths and weaknesses you have? That What do you want to be told about you as a player if other GMs ask? And then what are the teams you want to go to? I think there was one off season where for who are you was had like a, went before his rookie debut, like there was like a huge buyout that was going to come from Dallas, I believe. And then there was a smaller buyout coming from NYXL, but who are you really wanted to play with NYXL and we had this long discussion and we we're like trying to figure out a way to make it make it work but it ended up you know we just you know we did have to send you know who are you over to the team he wanted to go to because ultimately you, you care about these young men and you want them to uh, go to a team they want and I think what became hard was when some team says we really like your player but we don't have a budget for buyout or we only have this much money that's yeah. it and then you're like oh well that doesn't even recoup the amount of housing meals and uh you know everything we've kind of put into the org and then um i think as that ecosystem kind of hopefully corrects itself um and i think we find ways to you know buyouts don't have to be ridiculously high to to make the value um i think uh when there's potential to win prize as well and get a lot more uh what is it visibility into your young mm-hmm. contenders players through the through this league change i think that uh that change can happen you know and and teams can come back you know in, in including t1 potentially in the future as well but it's just uh for this up you know this season it just uh um it just didn't make sense for us so uh, you know i think i would love to see you know runaway element mystic and some of those teams come back i think it would be like incredible for the league and the path to pro sure yeah yeah no like uh, i think that's that's probably like the the bull case for all of this i also there's also a certain level of excitement in me where Mm -hmm. i i I think to be fair the, the baseline assumption for me right now is there is gatekeeping in terms of like who is getting into overwatch league at the lower level but mostly for economic reasons. So what what I mean is, there's probably Korean players right now in in the space yeah. that should mm-hmm. probably start ahead of some of the uh, NA talent, but because there's prohibitive costs costs involved with housing, with yes. um, visas and whatnot, that's the gatekeeper. In mm. prior years, I felt like the gatekeeper was the GM not recruiting optimally. I think we've solved for that mostly pretty well i think there's nobody really egregious outside of uh the confines of overwatch league teams so knowing all of this if if actually like the contenders was able to produce a team that would be competitive with 
Overwatch League teams, that would be largely exciting. It would almost be like a... Someone there must just some know something that we don't know yet in, in the pro <laughs> realm. Th that could come from a coach. Maybe there's a group of players, right? Like, we've we've not had this this inefficiency in the market for a long time. And that's that potential is hugely exciting to me. Also on the NA side with the Pro-Am, even though I will say that, of course, I think I expect upsets much more considering some teams just don't take it as seriously, if we're being honest. Like, the, the, the uh, scrims just started sure. up full throttle um, pretty much this week for most teams uh, in the NA region. So um, that, that communicates a certain seriousness to me, even though a lot of them say, like, we're just eager to compete now, and I think we got some time left. To be fair, I think they they'll uh, eventually get there. But yeah, like the the potential of us just having missed something completely, and then they show up, right? That's interesting. Yeah. And then I I don't know. I guess this is a question for you, Rustin. How do you think the market will uh, react to that? Because in my mind, it was always like, okay, so if we actually get a contenders team in in such a system, if the contenders team ever makes it to a tournament. Let's say midseason, some miraculous thing happens. Is is it just? Are they just getting recruited right away after that? Yeah, I mean, I I think that that's exactly what like I mean, if you look at what Vancouver Titans uh, first season, like they just pretty much picked you know the majority of an entire roster that was successful in contenders here, and I think that just to have uh, for an org. It's just such a win-win. It feels like obviously that didn't necessarily end in a win-win, but um, overall, to get into the league, um, if you could stay, you know, have a group of of young guys that really made their case for being a very solid roster as a group together, and then have the opportunity where an org says, "Hey, we want to take you guys as a whole together. You know, we we want you to play with another star player that we have already here. Would you guys be interested?" Like, I think that is such a way for orgs to kind of be able to invest in a squad that they know is is a bit of a cohesive unit that, that cares about each other and has had success before, and also have um, uh, players that get to play together and, and take that leap into, you know, potentially the next level altogether. And I think uh, those are those are very exciting things for every potential contenders, you know, uh, owner or future owner, that they just think that if they build something great, it will be noticed right away and it can be, you know, negotiated right away to kind of have them bought in as a group. For sure, yeah. I think one thing, look, like this partnership thing, partnership, if you want to call it that, that that this was happening, the, the way it now rolled out, had been in the ether for a while. I almost felt like when you guys, um, like, let go of the T1 team, in my mind, I was like, okay, this is this is like, now my confidence just increased that this is actually happening, because certainly there's a conflict of interest uh, situation here. Not just like you know you guys eventually playing your your uh, academy team in like a bracket, for instance, but also like, you know, honestly having the double dip on scouting and you know like it's I, I won't say like. It, information dissemination of scrims and whatnot is perfectly sterile in the Overwatch League. I think there's always some some leakage, some spillage of what someone else is doing, even if it's just like div 
anonymized data of like a very good team is currently running this comp. Let's also try it. Um, or like yeah. X coach told me this. Um, I think there's there's some of that going on, but yeah, it, it was was that the primary decision uh, behind the T one situation, or what was what was basically going on? Yeah, it it just felt like uh, it would be a lot weirder to have a team that you know. I think there's a lot of pros and cons to having that team. I think an obvious pro is that uh, we never played each other, and they. They were great uh, scrim partners for us for like warm ups or something or trying something out or mm. uh, someone if you know if we needed a, a scrim at a certain time and I think they served you know very helpful in that in that sense but I think as this new model is shown I think a lot of Overwatch League teams will be super hesitant to uh, ever scrim against T1 if they're especially if they're scrimming. Uh, if they have a match with the uh, Infernal scene, like I think, uh, because of that, it's just a um, it, it's it's going to be harder for them. Um, and then B, I think, imagine if you know we do, they are performing as they always have been. You know, a top you know three, top two team in contenders, they would be in that you know qualifier bracket. Then out of nowhere, what? So we don't scream each other. We scream each other. We don't have that warm-up partner. Oh, their you know their coach says no. We actually like every coach has to be confident about their own team. So he's like, no, we we do have a shot here. So we don't want to scream you. We don't want to give you any information. We don't want to like uh, give you practice in the way you want. Like, and I don't know where it, it kind of feels like you're um, you're not on the same team despite sure. being yeah. in the same org. And I think it, at least for this year uh, with the with the way uh the schedule was it just didn't really um seem like we had enough of the pros to really you know really justify having that and i think mm. um you know we'll, we'll see how it goes this year i mean we have you know a couple uh case studies out here and we can watch how that how it works out for them and then you know if in the future we feel like it's valuable we can we can bring it back but i think for now you know the org's 100% focus is on uh, Infernal doing the best they can. And I think the decision was just made to really um, focus solely on our performance and doing the best we can here. And I think um, and I think I, I can definitely understand, you know, the motivations behind why we did that. Hmm. No, it makes, makes perfect sense. And I think, Jessica, you kind of... You touched on something a little bit earlier that was exciting because i know that you've always been like a big grassroots fan right like that's something that you really enjoyed about you know i i you know i'll speak for you for a little bit like the early days of overwatch esports maybe even the early days of esports in general right like that that idea that an open bracket you don't know what's going to happen you have you might have some educated guess you might have a good idea but just the stakes of knowing that there is that any given sunday a you know, attribute to to a bracket, to a tournament. You know, APAC has that. It feels like that's going to draw a lot of eyes. That's going to draw a ton of attention. And with that attention, obviously the the, the million dollar question in esports is how do we how do we convert that attention into dollar bills? But I think that's the start, right? That that's the the impetus to a lot of growth. And I feel like APAC is going to see an in just an immense amount of growth. I can hear the, the the fans cheering and finding the 
the new fan favorite, like underdog story of, you know, the meta Athena, the, the, the runaways, you know, they, they, it's a family. They, they fund the team through streaming and they're, you know, they just got a team house. Look at this washer. Like it's, the, there's so many just like fun. It, it feels like almost a return in some, in a light way, right? Like in, in a kind of diet way to what we kind of got hooked on originally and, and, you know, in, with OGN and, and Apex and maybe in some of the, the Western tournaments where you, you can just build those stories. Um, is it likely we'll have to see it's, it's doesn't, doesn't strike me as super, you know, likely to happen. Obviously there's only two slots. You have two incredible teams, obviously infernal is among them, right? You have Dallas, you've got spark. We still don't know what dynasty you're doing. We, we really don't know what Shanghai is up to. It, it's, it's a, it's a race for not too many slots, you know, not too many seats at the table, but just the, just the idea of, yeah, but what if, what, what if they do it? What happens? I think that's, that's like must watch TV. No, like that's, that's incredible. You have to, you have to watch APAC. If you're not watching APAC, you don't like Overwatch. I'm going to sell, I'm going to say that right now. YouTube comments. You don't like Overwatch. If you, you're not, you're not, you're, you don't support tier two. How about that? Here's, here's the thing. I think that's true. There's, there's a big potential for APAC to bring that back. But it almost mm -hmm. for me, and mm -hmm. that, I'll just fire that statement. If you want to jump on in that, Rustin, if not, be free to stone face <laughs> this one. But I feel like all the potential here is in actually being more regularly in one physical location, uh, creating like a wrong. The fortunate cases that a lot is happening in terms of esports is happening in Seoul. That makes it so that content is much more po uh, possible. I think, for instance, one of the coolest pieces of content that came out of last season was you meeting up with the Dynasty and having that like yeah. little turn heads thing. Like there was some super cool moments there. Like that's that's the type of content that could be facilitated here. I hope that there's also an initiative to bring that type of content uh, translation into the Western space. That. I, I think that would largely resonate with with the audience, even though they, the the start times are really rough for them to watch. But that's easy easy content to uh, consume after the fact, right? Like you don't necessarily have to follow yes. the game's life in order to enjoy that. And a lot of for, for me stands and falls with the ability to just be in a physical location. It would be super dope for me, for instance. Uh, if the contenders um, cinema situation there or whatever theater or whatever it is there would translate to Overwatch League and just see like your players sit in the stands on days they are not playing and just observing, right? Like, yeah. just like maybe they're holding like a couple of cards up or whatever, like cheering on friends they have in other teams or I don't know, maybe there's some shit talk to be had. I, I don't know, <laughs> right? Like there's there's something that we... I don't even think the Blizzard Arena delivered necessarily uh to that extent where it felt like ogn's studio could feel like a living room for players as well where they were very often in the audience and there was just a, a great potential for for content there and i hope we're maximizing for that because i, I i'm i'm pretty sure like dallas is probably going to be in the area you guys with your two two teams are in in the area right like whatever happens to the other teams 
not informed on on what's going on there but theoretically there's a lot of potential uh in in making content and i think that's the the attack vector for apac as a as a, an entertainment product right mm. yeah absolutely i think i think one of the biggest feedback i did give uh the league was that uh the Blizzard team here in Korea and WDG as the partner really did like an incredible job at uh, both the content they produce and the the live match we had against Soul Dynasty at the end of the year. Like that theater is dedicated to esports and they have a stage there and like they really get Korean players and the Korean culture where I think the content they produced felt way more natural for korean players to finally show their personality mm-hmm. i think uh, it, it's really hard to do and i think a lot of korean players in a very korean dominant league haven't had their brands really built because it, it's it's hard and they're shy and the english is not their first language and i think mm-hmm. um i you know that piece is so funny and i know that like i've heard from so many like of the na players as well they're like that's not fair. How come they get to do something like that? And, <laughs> and I'm just like, you guys went to Hawaii. Like, right. <laughs> so, um, you know, this upcoming year, I think, you know, with Dallas being in Seoul and then, um, you know, uh, Dynasty Infernal being here already, I think uh, Blizzard is um, really talking to teams and really trying to get as many uh, offline matches as possible. And I think that as an experience and the content that we could create is such a is such a great to have another like hub for players multiple teams and players to be able to meet locally is like such a good thing for like the fan base locally as well as the players really as a reward like you know it's you know you you want to be in front of that crowd you want that pressure you want to hear that and i think that's what the beauty of uh the OGN Apex days was that, you know, there was a incredible fan base out here that, you know, they're cheering and screaming loud for the players. And I think uh, that Soul Dynasty versus uh, Fusion match last year was really a uh, just a preview. And uh, not only did they have like a really, you know, I think the signups, I think it was only within like an hour where every, Jeez. or a couple hours where there were way too many signups, so it had to be like some sort of like lottery system because it was like the demand was way bigger than the supply of tickets for that match. It was like a crazy gap where they we wish the theater was you know two or three times bigger. But uh, for us to have those matches regularly and for fans to experience that, and even after the match, we had like a very special um, experience for fans to be able to interact with uh, the players and. Seeing so many signs that are like, and you're and you're in the crowd and you see that sign. It's like this is literally this is for you as a player. Like, yeah. oh Zest, you know, feel better with your arm. It's like the day he heard it, and fans already have a get better, you know, drawing on it. And I think uh, that is what made that sport, you know, that scene so successful. And I think that is something we're definitely, uh, I think Blizzard Korea is definitely tapping into, and I think will be it'll be very exciting for this next season. This needs operative happen, word right? there yes it, it, it like even hearing ross and talk about it hearing you kind of postulate the idea like i just want to go like i want to go like get i gotta brush up i gotta brush up on contenders because i feel like i'm gonna be watching way more apac than i'm na i'm not gonna lie 
Like I want to, I like that is must watch TV. Like that is, that is the, that's the reason why, I don't know. That's the reason why I got it into this. That's the reason why this is even here is like the idea that like, yes, they're alive at the event. You know, there, there's that plucky underdog team. Like he, the, the narrative's already kind of like, there, there are skeletons there that you can kind of just mold teams and not mold teams into, but that will fit the mold, right? Like they'll, they'll find their own, you know, narrative, but it's so like similar to some other teams and it's just, it, it it's, it's the best. I don't know. It's yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I just want it now. I'm, I'm just like even every, every episode where we have somebody on, I'm just like that much more excited to get the season started. But like, yeah, uh, it's so good. I think what's really what what would have been so interesting is like you know how like Goats Meta started in uh, contenders and was like big in contenders before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, like I just imagine like what happens if there is some super innovative team, contenders team that that's willing to just yes, you know yes. not fit the mold, play yes. certain weird things, and come in and then you have to see an Overwatch League team when everything they've been practicing is pretty much never played that mm-hmm. and i don't know or have to adapt on the fly like i think that is like when we get one of those teams coming in hot where they like and you have to watch them compete against like teams that have kind of like been middle of the pack or you know maybe struggling in the current overwatch League meta sure. like how does that shape the match and how exciting would it be to watch that run of a contenders team go as deep as they can and i i totally agree with you i think uh it's going to be super exciting for uh viewers this year and i think mm. it also puts a lot of pressure on the overwatch league teams too sure. and i think and i think it's it's good pressure that should be added like you know you've invested so much and in like are you even putting out you know the, the best <laughs> product you can and i think it it's uh and i think overall it's it's you know you love to see like a real underdog, a real team of just like a ragtag bunch that maybe had no expectations to come out and and really fight against you know the seasoned veterans or like the the established names. Yeah, and I feel like also this is this is the year where we need to relearn storytelling, not just generally but adapted to the region that they're taking place in. But mm. I feel like a big one is. There's one aspect where, and I'll I'll eventually have something on this, but where we've taught players very early on to be very scared about sharing their opinion, and now nobody really talks about anything. And the the other thing is, we have sixty percent uh, Korean players in the league, and this league has never really figured out how to tell their stories with with the richness that we already had as a blueprint during the Apex mm-hmm. era, right? And I feel like that's that's the the bull case here to say, theoretically, just logistically, all of that aspect could be there. You could teach yourself as a league to make content there that you can then also adapt. You don't have to copy-paste. If, if whatever you're doing in Apex works, you don't have to copy-paste that and just give that to an A fence. You can adapt it and fit it to the mold, but you gotta tell these stories, right? Like we're we're not competing for attention of just like people wanting to feel the niche of competition in their life. We're competing against everything, competing against mm, TikTok, yes. we're competing against YouTube, right? And that doesn't ha- work without personality. Like they they there are only so many nerds that can look at spreadsheets and stats. There are only so many nerds 
that like can team hop like I do in terms of like who they like because oh my god they are living the excellence and whatnot. No, that there is something about being sticky in the in the stories that you tell and the in the epic moments and even me like two three times a year I will rewatch these uh, Apex um, intros for instance mm -hmm. that were just outstanding and also feel that like that that that's it's it's not that it's strictly better it's very different and adds a certain meaning to the experience there that i like i'm sorry but if someone tells me this is just nostalgia it's not right like there is definitely a different quality about the way this was handled back then a familiarity that still felt really highly competitive and everyone really wanted to win that can work at the same time we just got to bottle it up right and and give to the fans and i think they will eventually also like it we just got to grasp this because after like if we don't not doing it like why why not right like then just whatever right but this is like a, a big opportunity and while it's it's of course not optimal what happened in in apac this year i think hopefully that is sort of like the aspect where like the business case can be found and then there's there's other stuff uh in in terms of viewership incentives that that could really bring the ball home i think that mm. th there's a way to get a lot of eyeballs on this product then you know like they're almost like acting like a like a feature they, people will watch this if there's viewership incentives in terms of skins if the product is cool then and something they, and they can stay. attach to, then they stay, and then they convert into fans that, like, once again, I don't think fandom like the Runaway guys or whatever were really ever recreated in that sense in Overwatch in any team ever again, right? Like, it's just a a different level. I think for many, Bumper is a mythological cre creature. <laughs> And we 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 got to get there again, right? Like that, you can have the the very westernized, you know, like um, sports league approach and the stats comparisons and the analysis and like the the bragging and like I I love what Cor Toronto is doing in terms of their content, being a little bit edgy, go, like pushing boundaries, sharing scrim codes. Like uh, okay, it was accidental, but as long as you talk to the other team, if that's okay, whatever, right? Like that's okay. Um, just being a little bit edgy, pushing some boundaries, you will eventually just find out what the line is, and then you push back from that. But yeah, I, I feel like that's we got to figure out how to do content this year. Hmm. Hundred percent. Yeah. It's that's I feel like it's a it's a topic that we always harp on every year. But this year feels um, feels like the the match for the the esports winter for Overwatch is if we can if we can get content right with all with with the the fertile soil that feels like is, is so rich in APAC at the moment with, with how exciting that that format could be with the established teams in na and uh, you know what these two products could be i think there's a big you know you want to talk about attack vectors i think there's a very successful vector that both products and if i'm envisioning envisioning these two like i you know entities as separated because i think maybe they i think you're kind of arguing that they should be as well and i would agree um we can really stabilize is maybe the word 
right? We can we can really kind of lay the groundwork. We can kind of I know that the NetEase thing is the definitely shaking things up. Obviously, the you know the the esports winter, the, the the overall consolidating that a lot of teams have been having to do, um, it is it is scary. But there is a lot of hope, I think, for Overwatch for the future. Maybe that's just my own. That's my own fandom. That's my own, you know, hopium puffing that I'm doing. But I, it, it does feel real. It does feel like this is the year that you can really knock it out of the park. Um, and it's, you know, it's up to the league at this point. Um, without going too long in the tooth, because I know, I, you know, I you guys it. have scrims. I got it. Yeah, go ahead. I gotta, gotta ask one more question because when we talk about mythological creatures, there was, <laughs> there was, there's one name that we got to bring up in terms of like how, how that, yes. how that went, right? Um, yep. I think like this is it, almost like that's. The, I feel like a lot of stories. The the biggest story for me coming to an end is not that you guys left Felly. it's that Carpe within in house, but switch games right and departed, mm -hmm. and I'm I'm interested to find out how that went about because I think like his contract was probably up this year. So, Decisions had to be made. I'm sure you guys negotiate contracts uh, while the season's going on. Maybe something like did he did he get come to you guys said like I want to try something else or like what what was the process like for for Cape to basically like uh, make that decision? Yeah, it, it's it was a lot of like the two of us talking a lot, and I think um, it is it's. For someone like Harpe, who um, really loves Overwatch, uh, honestly, like I think ultimately, like staying in Overwatch was something that he, you know, has done for so many years of his life. Um, it's where he's built his career, and I think for him, there are so many options for him next. Like he is such a smart and hardworking person that uh, he could definitely be a coach. Um, mm. He's uh, when he streams. And, you know, he has so many people watching his stream at all times. Uh, but at the same time, this guy is uh, a competitive freak of nature. He loves to compete. And I think that drive is something like where did he want to compete next was always on his on his mind, you know. And I mm -hmm. think uh, he, you know, the, the T1 team, he he's, has... Um, teammates with Saya player and Munchkin who are both you know ex Overwatch guys and um you know he's always since the beginning I think when Valorant first came out I think it was during that that covid break um in that uh the covid season where there was like a delay in all the matches cuz we didn't yeah. we couldn't travel and we, so there was like this weird two week where I think every Overwatch league player was crying mm -hmm. out Valorant and I think um like Carpe was very good so uh when you know it makes sense i mean his skill set matches uh valorant and i think over the years carpe became so smart about the decisions he makes you know like it, it a lot of players can read a situation like a number is like oh you know i can get that kill but it's a little greedy there's a you know 80 80 percent chance it goes well 20 percent chance but we're already winning if I peel back, like it's not even worth risking that twenty percent. You know, like there's like little calculations in your head that is super, super like obvious in uh, a tactical FPS where it's like mm. certain engages and situations like you just don't take that fight even though you know you're better. It's just not worth it. And I think 
Um, his skill set and mindset trans translates perfectly to Valorant, and I think, um, and for us within the org, you know, he's a he's a culture guy. I mean, this guy is, you know, he's competitive. He works really hard. Um, he hates losing, and I think those guys are never, uh, you know, sometimes can be stressful in a locker room if you're losing a lot, but um, they're never a negative if your goal is to win. Sure. And, um, you know, I think one thing that I think when we talked about is like for me, I kind of really liked that we worked together for our entire career together, and I think um, he really left me with like saying like you know, focus on MN3. Like when I see him play well, it's it's no one's ever played, no one ever in the game has ever played the way he plays in in some of our matches and scrims. Like, and he said that he's really special, and I think um, like he feels comfortable like kind of like handing that torch off to MN3 and to see if, you know, without the pressure of, you know, one of the greatest of all time kind of like looming over him, what he can do when he has that full time and that, that full trust of the team. Sure. Yeah. Kind of special. That, when, when did you know this was going to be the transition uh, for, for Kape? Like, <laughs> it's actually, a, dude, it's, it's actually crazy. It's before... Before Zest got injured, actually. Ooh, okay. <laughs> so, so we were actually about to potentially figure out a way where, because they uh, Valorant had a, a roster lock deadline that was before our playoffs, so we ah. had to go to talk to our commissioner, their commissioner, and see like this is a very unique situation where our player just got injured and you won't start you know your roster locks now but your you know the the VCT lock in was just you know uh, just the last couple of weeks so mm -hmm. I was like uh, is there some way we could work on like you know neither league says that they can a player a pro player could be a player on in two leagues at the same time you know um, but <laughs> we had you know Zest get injured and we you know we really needed you know Carpe to step in and you know and really like um kind of just uh be there you know for the team and do everything he can and at the time to really give it his luck and i think that was like a really beautiful even though we did terribly i would say that um his leadership and like kind of like the mentality of the team like uh and all the like there were a lot of rumors going around already so like i think it was like yeah, I don't know how exactly like the rumors spread, but mm. like by the time we got to America, like some teammates had heard like, "Wait, are you going to Valorant?" And like, kind of was like a little bit of negative at first, and then I think Carpe had like a hard heart with the team. He's like, "Guys, like, it is true, but you guys know where my heart is with this team." And he's like, "You know, I want 100% for us to do the best." And like, he was, he has never wavered in that passion for Overwatch and our team and mm. us being the best. And he's still. Like I still talk to him all the time. He's like, "Hey, how's it? How's it going?" Like, and we bounce ideas off each other still. And he's like always trying to support us and be like the best, you know, a teammate he can. You know, he's just uh one you know, couple floors away from us every day practicing. So, um, he's always part of the family. Mm. And I think um, we're just so excited to you know keep him in our family and and see him on his next step. And you know, and when that you know. When all that's said and done, you know, you never know if you know he, he comes back in a you know in a role of leadership or something with the team. 
exceptional. I, I mean, the way that you're kind of spelling it out, I feel like he there there is an open door, right? It sounds like there is, you know, God forbid if he ever, you know, decided to come back, you know, maybe there's a seat at the table, right? It, it seems like the, the familial aspect of of this team is is very is very rich, you know, from the from the uh the twit longer that you wrote you know everything that you're saying you know trusting all these players keeping it lean and mean you know really putting the faith you know put your money where your mouth is you know really letting them know that you know there is a trust there you know you're you're touching base with them it like carpe's a couple floors above you just because you're playing it doesn't a different game doesn't mean you can't come back and you know drop in a couple you'll watch a scrim you know if you wanted to come back to overwatch maybe there's a maybe there's a coaching position open all of a sudden you know Seems like that's that's there's there is that open door, right? Yeah, I, I think yeah. It's also fair to say that just for those that maybe might not be following Valorant, Carpe for how little time he has been there, it actually is doing phenomenally. I like I think from from what I could gather, also from experts, he's basically like T1's best player at the at this uh, point, or was in uh, during the tournament. So. Yeah, I that's also really nice to see. I I always felt mm. like um Overwatch players that transition always seem to do very well. I think it's also down to like their work ethic and that we filtered for that. So, um yeah, I I had no doubt in my mind that Carpick with given given time could get there, right? And I think there's still oh, yeah. a lot of growth to be had there. Mm. Yeah, he's a special. I mean, since ever since, you know, even prior to the Overwatch League era, super, super special player. Very, very talented. But mm-hmm. in 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 respect of your time, Rostin, we don't want to, you know, go too terribly long. Um, so as we kind of wrap up, I, I want to give like this last little bit to, you know, if you wanted to talk to any of the, the Infernal fans, you know, obviously, you know, moving to Korea, there's been, it's, it's not, you know, not, not an easy decision to make. Um, so if there's anything that you guys have, you know, coming down the pipeline that maybe you want to tease or if you just have a message to, uh, to any fans or maybe some future fans that you want to kind of let them know, um, I want to give this this, you know, space to you. So take it away. <laughs> OK, wait, <laughs> but uh, wait. Um, I think. Uh, I really obviously talked a little too much in my tweet longer, so I think a lot of our mm-hmm. real original fans have seen that. But for fans that uh, haven't, I think uh, our rebrand and our move here is was like the ex- opposite of how we initially wanted. I think uh, we had told the league and we had agreed that our announcement of uh, rebrand and move would be closer to uh, the end of February, but then... Um, just like a week before Christmas, there's like, hey, sorry, you know, we think it's gonna leak next week, so you should put out a, put out something. And we're like, well, okay. So all we had time for is like a corporate press release that, which was, which was very, you know, like, uh, not very heartfelt. It's not mm. what uh, a lot of our fans uh, deserves. And I really touched on that. Um, uh, and I really, uh, you know, was very sorry for that because you know our fans deserve a lot better. Um, and then on top of that, like we actually, before the Netty situation, we did want to come out um, swinging. And I think we did actually have uh, a lot of names that you know may have been linked with us were because they were interested in coming here. We hadn't mm. necessarily talked about money, so there was no like bag that was 
uh, like fumbled. I think that's what I what I read. And then uh, it, it really wasn't like that. It was more that they really wanted to come play for us. And mm-hmm. the situation was that you know APAC was just in a in a really bad situation. And a lot of those top names, understandably, you want to get paid early. You want to secure and understand that you have a job at a salary you want. And I think our situation this year, you know wasn't necessarily ideal for the free agency but i just know that you know for us as an org like we have uh really taken uh time and effort to find what was really best of available and what works with our coaches and the existing players we had hmm. and i think uh i i think all of us 100% believe that this year we will be stronger than last year and last year we had uh, many flashes of brilliance. We had a very deep um, run uh, in the midseason, and I think we also, you know, added a, another second place to our uh, fantastic uh, silver trophy uh, collection uh, last year in the in the first tournament. And I think um, for us, it's it's 100% improvement for all of us in the team. And I think uh, we know that, and we will build on that. And I think if you liked what you saw last year. I'm sure you will like what you see this year. And I think that's something I really want our players and our fans to know. And, um, you know, if things work out, I think our potentials and our flexibility will really shine. And I, you know, for coaches do our job, then I think we really should be uh, a team to be excited for this year out of APAC. Well said. Well said. Yiska, as we kind of wrap up, anything coming down the pipeline for you? No, I, I once again I hope um, that we get to see a lot in terms of the the content that is possible there. I uh, I'm kind of looking forward to like especially what what uh, MN3 is capable of and Zest. Um, I also really hope for the eventual arrival of Mag. Uh, Joe is familiar with the concept of the Scheinriese that I put forth like a couple of years ago, which is basically like someone looks gigantic in contenders from far away, ah. but as they get closer, yeah. like they, they shrink and they're like, sometimes they are players. And I don't know why it's Korean main tanks, but like for some reason that's true, that look great in contenders and then something goes awry at, uh, during the transition to Overwatch League. It's not maybe not even necessarily down to them. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. Um and then also I I I sense there's something in skewed where it could be the Smurf effect, which I want to coin it like mm-hmm. that, where someone steps a sidesteps like or gets out of the, the shadow of a great starter and just like performs on the breadth of their um their role. So I'm looking forward to that. I think that's really exciting about the roster and yeah, thank you. thanks a lot for coming on. Yes, thank you, Rossin. This has been an incredible just opportunity to kind of have you come on and you know really pick your brain about you know obviously the future and a little bit of the past as well. So thank you so much. Yeah. Appreciate it. No, you. thank you too so much for having me. Yeah, no. Uh, all right, so that's been episode two eighty six. Uh, if you like the show, like and subscribe, all that YouTube stuff, and download the podcast. That certainly helps as well. Um, and. We'll see you next week with uh, possibly another guest. Nobody's really teased that they're doing a ton of signings, so we're going to figure that out. So, 87, coming soon-ish. So, see ya. Peace.